Did you guys catch the Super Bowl? Man, that was a good game. Pass. Got it. Touchdown. No, 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 no. Not that Super Bowl. Uh, the Subcommittee on Health will now come to order. I'm talking about the FDA Super Bowl. Our health subcommittee today is holding its first hearing on the FDA medical product user fee programs. Congress is kicking off a month-long process to approve what are called FDA user fees. These fees are paid by drug and medical device makers to the FDA and account for nearly half of the agency's budget. This legislation has to pass to keep the FDA running, which means it's also a rare chance for lawmakers to take a run at other health care reforms. Today, we go deep on FDA user fees, what they do, why they're controversial, and what other policies they could carry past the goal line. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Traders. Sarah, if you could just introduce yourself, your name, your title, and your favorite thing about the FDA user fee process. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm Sarah Carlin Smith. I'm a senior writer at the Pink Sheet. My favorite thing about the FDA user fee process. Um, that's an interesting question. <laughs> Um, not that it's not exciting. Um, Sarah's been reporting on the FDA and the drug industry for more than a decade. And this is her third time covering what some on Twitter like to call the FDA Super Bowl. This is a must-pass bill for FDA. Because essentially, if it doesn't pass by the end of September 2022, FDA could end up having to lay off thousands of employees some parts of the agency are going to be out as much as 70% of their funding. And that's where you get this into the Super Bowl analogy, because anybody who has any interest in reforming FDA um, or doing any other kind of healthcare policy legislation reform in Congress can use this process to try and make those reforms happen. And uh, are you a Super Bowl fan? <laughs> so... Um, not like a huge football person. I do play in a fantasy league every year, but I kind of play as the like, I don't know anything about football, so I'm going to like see if I can beat you football people. <laughs> but um, yeah. So, so I'm a big football guy. And as I understand this process, there's sort of two parts to these user fees, sort of just like there are two halves to a football game. You've got the user fees themselves and then the process of getting this measure through Congress. So if your game, Sarah, I'd really like to run this interview through sort of a Super Bowl style. Is that all right? Sure. Okay. So in the pregame show, we said that these user fees are paid by drug and medical device makers to the FDA. Now that the game is underway here, Sarah, let's start with the most simple play. How do these user fees work and what do they actually fund? Every time a drug company or a medical device company submits an application to the FDA for review, they pay a lump sum fee and that will go to support the people 
and any infrastructure at FDA working on reviewing these applications. For prescription drugs, that fee at this point is close to $2.5 million. When the user fees first started in 1992, the amount was like $100,000. Wow, that's pretty wild. You know, our, our producer, Ryan Levy, looked it up, Sarah, and those prescription drug fees added up to $1.1 billion last year. And when you add in the other user fees from things like medical devices and generic drugs, they make up nearly half of the FDA's $6 billion budget. So why did Congress set this system up in the first place in the early 90s, Sarah, where the FDA gets all this money from industry as opposed to federal tax dollars? I mean, in general, it's just congressional disinterest in funding FDA with more taxpayer money, and it has led to modernization of FDA, its technology. The FDA has hired thousands more employees over the past 30 years, and I think industry has seen the benefits because what maybe used to take two, three years, even longer for a drug to be approved, now you're almost guaranteed your product to be reviewed in under a year. So I think it's just ended up being pretty easy for them to rely on user fees. And the two sides have to renegotiate these fees every five years. And this time around, they've actually been at it since the fall of 2020. Sarah, take us onto the field and describe the process. Is it kind of like two linemen sort of slugging it out during the Super Bowl? So one thing that's particularly frustrating to me as a journalist is that almost all of these meetings are held behind closed doors and there are requirements to put out some amount of public meeting minutes, but particularly for the prescription drug meeting minutes, they're often like three or four bullet points of kind of high level topics of what's discussed. So it can be really hard to get a sense of what happened in those meetings, who was pushing for what, how much head to head tension there was which I think raises a lot of people's eyebrows about the process that we just can't get a good public picture. You think about conversations going on behind closed doors and to kind of stick with our Super Bowl metaphor here for a second, it can almost feel like football teams are paying the refs. That's the appearance, at least. This is your third go around of the FDA Super Bowl. Is it your sense that this process on the whole is working and is useful or are you more skeptical that this agreement has made the FDA sort of too cozy with industry? I'm probably somewhere a bit in the middle because, again, I do feel like in terms of the level of staffing and modernization of FDA as an agency, user fees are sort of indispensable to FDA. But I do think there have been some drug applications in particular where you do sort of wonder, does FDA feel too much pressure to okay this product? And there's one very prominent incident a number of years ago. Sarepta Therapeutics getting FDA approval for its Duchenne muscular dystrophy drug. Where Janet Woodcock, um, who's right now the acting FDA commissioner, and she was talking about, well, if we don't approve this drug for a rare disease that usually affects young boys, spinal Duchenne muscular dystrophy, we don't approve this drug, which many people believe really hadn't shown to have any benefit, this company is essentially going to collapse. And they're not going to be able to keep working on any of their other promising products. 
and people pointed to that as very clear evidence that FDA was thinking more about the financial health of a company than whether it was in the best interest of these young men with a rare disease. And obviously, it's not just industry that wants faster approvals in a case like that. You've got patient groups and lawmakers also leaning on the FDA to approve the drugs. But clearly, there are a lot of folks who are worried about the FDA relying on the companies uh, it regulates to fund its work. We've just got one play left in the half, Sarah. So we're going to call it Hail Mary. Is there any talk right now in Congress of getting rid of these user fees and replacing them with good old-fashioned tax dollars? No. (laughs) I mean, that was probably one of the fun. (laughs) Um, There's not that political will, I think, to even consider that at this point. I don't see that happening anytime soon, if ever. And with that, the whistle blows the first half is in the books. When we come back, Congress puts on their pads and gets into the game. But first, a little halftime show, courtesy of the greatest football team ever assembled, the 1985 Chicago Bears and the Super Bowl Shuffle. We're not here to start no trouble. We're just here to do the Super Bowl Shuffle. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back. The second half of our FDA Super Bowl is about to get underway. We've got our team captain and veteran of two previous FDA Super Bowls, Pink Sheet senior writer Sarah Carlin Smith with us. And even though this would never happen in the NFL, the second half of the FDA Super Bowl is actually played on a completely different field. Right, Sarah? Right. So now the action is going to shift from conference rooms at um, FDA's headquarters in Silver Spring, Maryland, to Washington, D.C., you know, Capitol Hill hearing rooms. So now Congress is in charge. This is their part of the show. Right. Because after all that closed door negotiating, Sarah, the FDA and the industry have agreed to deals and now Congress has got to sign off on them. What what are the most interesting or important things in this year's agreements to you? Sure. So, um, one, the FDA is going to expand its cell and gene therapy team. It's an exciting new area of medical research, medical products being developed, but they need a lot more staff to keep up with the pace. And then the agreement is going to ask FDA to use more and help companies um, use more real-world evidence in their applications. So this is data they might collect from a smartwatch, um, electronic health records, 
Basically, what companies want to be able to do is take this evidence and convince the FDA to expand the use of a drug to a new population or another use for which it's not already approved without having to run um, really expensive clinical trial research. Got it. And like you mentioned earlier, these agreements have to pass Congress. So lawmakers are trying to throw their own policy ideas into this, kind of like fans jumping on a winning team's bandwagon. One is a bill known as Cures 2.0, which would in part expand telehealth and establish a new federal agency to research cures for things like Alzheimer's, cancer, and diabetes. The one we've heard about most, though, Sarah, is this bipartisan bill to prepare for the next pandemic. Can you tell us what that bill specifically would do if it passed? So a few things it would do, it would try and look back at the COVID pandemic and figure out, you know, what mistakes were made and what could be improved. Another major component is shoring up the country's national stockpile of things like medicines that we might think we need in a pandemic. Another interesting thing is they really want to work to improve the country's public health IT infrastructure. That was one thing that the U.S. has really lacked during COVID that other countries have done much better at. There's been a lot of talk from academics and lawmakers about the FDA's accelerated approval process, where a drug can get approved, uh, as you know, quicker than normal if it meets an unmet clinical need, like treating a disease where there's no treatment. This is how that controversial Alzheimer's drug aducanumab, or Adahelm, got approved. And, and Sarah, this process is controversial because while the data used to prove these drugs is promising, there's no guarantee it's going to meaningfully treat the condition. Before we get into whether we're going to see changes to this process, can you just give us some context? Like, why do these accelerated approvals even exist? The idea behind accelerated approval was if you could show something was likely to lead to that greater benefit down the line, you could get it cleared, get it out there to people, and then on the back end, prove that your hypothesis was correct. It's almost like, hey, if people are out there suffering and dying and we have a product that may in fact work, we're not 100% sure, but let's get that to people so they don't die. That's not, that's not wait for the perfect study to come out. Right, because that perfect study might take 10 years or longer. And by that point, you have a whole generation of people dead from the disease that could have lived. So, so that makes perfect sense. So today, in 2022, what's the tension around this thinking, this way of approving drugs? One big tension is that over the years, companies have not been great about the follow-through. So they often are incredibly slow to complete those follow-up studies that show whether the drug ultimately holds that promise or not. FDA actually hasn't been that great at um, holding them accountable either. And so now we get the Alzheimer's drug, aducanumab, which ends up being priced really high. It's got questionable effect. And so there's a lot of scrutiny on this process at the same time as this FDA Super Bowl. Sarah, do you think there's any chance that we're going to see any meaningful changes to accelerated approvals during this user fee process? I wouldn't give it like super great odds, 
There are definitely lawmakers really frustrated with this decision. On the other hand, accelerated approval is a really popular program. I could see more tweaks around the edges, perhaps to make it easier for FDA to pull products from the market when companies aren't fulfilling their back-end commitments of accelerated approval. I don't think Congress has any interest in really getting rid of the program or really crushing it in some devastating way. And finally, just like Super Bowl tickets, prescription drug prices are very high. Democrats want to let Medicare negotiate some drug prices to bring them down. Do you think we could see that idea jump from the stalled Build Back Better Act to this user fee bill? That I might almost call like a poison pill of <laughs> the common phrase in D.C. I think that's too partisan to fly here in a big legislative package, right, there might be things that clearly Republicans wanted and that Democrats didn't and vice versa. I'm not sure there's a good way for Democrats to push their drug pricing reform into a user fee bill. So I think if drug pricing is going to probably clear this Congress, it's going to go through a different path. I don't think it's going to go through user fees. Okay. Game's just about over here. For people who are watching this FDA Super Bowl at this point, Sarah, what would you suggest they keep an eye out for as this game sort of winds down? What, what What's next? So, you know, this is going to show I know a little bit of something about football. Um, you know, in football, like you see the clock and it's like two minutes left in the fourth quarter and it's actually like a half an hour. Like you might be saying we're at the end of this process here. We're at the beginning of the end. I mean, this basically has to be done by the end of September 2022. That is like light years away in terms of the way Congress functions and works. Something could change dramatically in terms of a drug that gets approved and really shift focus of what Congress is thinking about here. Right. Like, so there's just going to be a lot of twists and turns, I think, until we get to the final bill. And there's just going to be a lot to watch. Sarah Carlin Smith, the clear MVP of the game. Thank you very much for talking to us on Trade Offs. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm Dan Gorenstein, and I'm going to Disney World. Just kidding. This is Trade Offs. The head of California's Obamacare exchange is stepping down after 10 years. Over that time, Peter Lee has helped the state cut its uninsured rate from 17 to 6%. Few people understand the law's strengths and weaknesses as well. Is America great today? We're a mixed bag. Are we better today because of the Affordable Care Act making us a more just nation? Absolutely. Peter Lee's experiences, his lessons learned, and Obamacare's next frontier, next time on Tradeoffs. Thanks for listening to Tradeoffs. If you've just discovered us, remember to subscribe to the feed so you never miss an episode. Subscribing is free and easy on whichever podcasting app you use, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. The Tradeoffs team is producers Ryan Levy and Andrea Perdomo, Executive Director Jessica Silverman, Communications Manager Nora Tahiri, Senior Health Policy Editor Sarah Thomas, Sound Designer Andrew Perella, Executive Editor Dan Gorenstein, and Senior Producer Leslie Walker. 
The Trade-Offs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Epidemic Sound and Blue Dot Sessions. Additional thanks to Jeremy Sharp and Lowell Schiller. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Vivian Ho, Lester Arguelles, and Susan Carroll. Trade-Offs is supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, West Health, the Better Care Playbook, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, the Sozose Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management Foundation. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of trade-off staff, advisors, or funders. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.